Welcome to episode 399 of We Don't Die Radio. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And just a quick reminder, you can find everything we are up to, all past episodes, and including our free Sunday gathering with a medium demonstration included at wedontdie.com. Our guest today is Helene Wabe, Director of Research at the Institute of Noetic Sciences and Adjunct Assistant Professor in the Department of Neurology at Oregon Health and Science University. She is, a, she is a clinically trained as a naturopathic physician and research trained with a master's of clinical research and two postdoctoral research fellowships. Her research domains include extended human capacities, complementary and alternative medicine, mind-body medicine, stress, and post-traumatic stress disorder. Dr. Wabe's extensive meditation training includes the mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher training by John Kabat-Zinn, a four-year meditation teacher training with Core Light, and a 19-year regular meditation practice. She was recently named president of the Parapsychological Association. Dr. Wabe is the author of some 90-plus peer-reviewed publications and her book, The Science of Channeling, Why You Should Trust Your Intuition and the Force That Connects Us All. Dr. Wabe, a warm welcome, first-time visitor to We Don't Die Radio. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here with you today to talk about these exciting topics. It is super exciting, and I was excited, so I kind of stepped over my words just a little bit. I'm like a girl at Christmas, you know, opening a new mm-hmm. present when I get to meet a, a new guest. So if you would tell us a little bit about you, I know you're on the West Coast, um, but what, who are you and what had you get into this incredible field? And of course, we want to talk a little bit about that contest uh, that IONS has as well. So over to you, my new friend. Thank you. So you read my bio, so you learn a little bit about my academic background and my academic training. Um, But what you don't hear in my bio is that I actually went to my first seance when I was 10 years old at my grandparents' house, and that my whole mother's side of the family have some type of um, channeling mediumship type abilities and that I grew up in that atmosphere, although I really didn't talk about it. I was in the closet about it because it just really didn't feel safe to get into that. So as a meditation researcher, a clinical meditation researcher at an academic university, I was going along doing my meditation studies. I was working with combat veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder. We are teaching them mindfulness meditation and trying to discover how it worked. And I was invited to go to a uh, work group of other researchers looking at meditation at this place called the Institute of Noetic Sciences, which I'd never heard of before. So I attended this work group. There are probably about 20 of us researchers. And the goal was to talk about the future of meditation research and why in the West, the type of research questions we could ask were so limited. It was like 
you know, how does this improve quality of life or clinical symptoms or physiology, but we couldn't talk about, well, why do people have, you know, transcendent experiences or spiritual experiences during these meditation trainings? So it was a wonderful work group, but it really exposed me to the Institute of Noetic Sciences or IONS. And I was just so inspired by their willingness to ask questions that most researchers weren't willing to ask. You know, they were asking all these questions about normally taboo topics in academia. So I was inspired to ask them if they uh, were open to other staff members. And it took a couple years, but I eventually ended up on staff at IONS um, as a consultant, then as a scientist, and then shortly thereafter as director of research. And that was in 2015 when I started at IONS. And it has just been an incredible road since then. And I'm so grateful because I can now marry my personal experience of channeling, mediumship, etc., with my rigorous clinical training, research training to be able to study this in a, a formal way. So it's a fun uh, story about my background there. And I'll just share. So the Institute of Noetic Sciences, uh, many of you may have heard of it, many of you may not have. It was actually founded by Edgar Mitchell. And he was an Apollo 14 astronaut and also the sixth person to walk on the moon, just just incredible to think about. So he walked on the moon, he did his job, and he was coming home in his capsule and the capsule was rotating 360 degrees and he was seeing the sun and the moon and the stars. And he's an engineer by training. So he was just experiencing this. And then all of a sudden he went into this completely transformative transcendent state where he felt that he was everything he was seeing and everything was part of him. So this rocked his foundations. He came back to earth and was like, what was that? I need to know what this sense of interconnectedness was. So he founded uh, the Institute of Noetic Sciences in 1973. We're celebrating our 50 year anniversary now. Wow. Just really amazing. So, you know, ION's mission is to reveal this interconnected nature of reality through scientific exploration and personal discovery. So, we're really about this what we call noetic handshake between the science and the direct experience. And everything that we do is really couched under this umbrella guiding hypothesis that we are all interconnected and that embodying that allows us to access information and energy from beyond our conventional notions of time and space, which in turn then profoundly amplifies transformation, innovation, and well-being. And so that's what we do. All of our projects, every all of our educational program, everything is in service um, of evaluating that guiding hypothesis. Incredible. Well, thank you for the journey. And you must have been so lit up to find an organization like this, because like you said, you can marry both of your loves. So many people think that there's no scientific people working on the afterlife or believing in 
you know, this is episode 399. And I have to tell you, I've interviewed lots of people and there are. So this is such a wonderful opportunity for me to share the Institute with new people to be able to send them your way, uh, either noetic.org or ions.org, right? Those are the, that's right. They both go to the same place. They do. Yeah. And it's incredible because when I first started at IONS, I had no clue that there was over 150 years of research in parapsychology on these topics. And that just blew me away. So I was having all these personal experiences, but I had no idea that there was such a rich uh, scientific research background on these phenomena. Yeah. Well, in a little while, I want to talk a little bit about more with you and your book and maybe some experiences when you were younger, but there was just a contest. Well, the contest has been going on for quite some time, but the winners of the contest were just recently released. Could you talk a little bit about what this contest is and uh, some of the findings? Because I think it's fascinating. I read the press release that came out not too long ago and just um, my jaws dropped. Yes, absolutely. So uh, the prize is called the Linda G. O'Brien Noetic Science Research Prize. So we are profoundly grateful for ION's board member um, and longtime supporter, Linda G. O'Brien. And Linda was just doing some deep soul searching about how she could really amplify and you know catapult consciousness research in a major way. And she came up with this incredible idea to fund a annual prize about various consciousness uh, projects or topics. And she really gave us the latitude, the ION science team latitude to discover what we wanted each year's prize to be. So it's $100,000 that someone gets each year. So this was our inaugural year. And for this year, we put forth a call for people to submit proposals of testable theories of consciousness. But we weren't interested in what a neuroscientist might think of as consciousness, like am I asleep or am I awake? It was more about what we call non-local consciousness, meaning that Our consciousness is not emergent from our neurons in our brain, which is what neuroscientists think, but it actually is, goes beyond the brain. Way beyond. (laughs) Right. Right. And so, so this idea started because we were joking around in a science team meeting about how many theories of consciousness there were and everybody has their theory and their terms, et cetera. But so few of them are testable, if at all. So we wanted to be able to bring to the surface actually testable theories that we could put through a rigorous test and discover if they're true or not. So the contest itself wasn't to do the testing. It was just to propose the theory. So we put this call out and we received 108 uh, initial applications. Uh, the initial application was just a few pages, but they had to describe their theory. Um, and we had a panel of judges, which included our science team, but also external advisors who were experts in their field. And we reviewed all of those applications and narrowed it down to 10 
then we invited those 10 um, researchers to submit a full application. And that was, you know, much longer and they got to go into detail and answer all their, um, the specific questions we wanted to ask of them. And we narrowed it down to three top winners and we couldn't decide between the three of those. So they each had their individual strengths. So we talked to Linda, we said, I, we know you wanted to just give one prize. But are you okay if this year we split the prize amongst the three top winners? And she was okay with that. So we gave, we just, it was on the 24th of June, we had our celebration where we announced the winners and the winners got to uh, give a little talk about their proposals and they were awarded with their, their prize money for their proposals. What were they talking about, these three? So I want to just clarify, you know, the judging, there were a few judging categories. Mm -hmm. They were judged according to scientific rigor, uh, feasibility. So could you actually test it? How relevant they were to the topic and then their potential impact. So those were what the proposals were graded on at the 108 level and also at the 10 level. And what's fascinating is that the, um, the proposals were very different from each other. And the first one was called Seeing Without Eyes. And that was with uh, Alex Gomez-Marin. And he uh, proposed to test people who were blind uh, to learn how to read without eyes. So there are some studies um, that have been done and also people that just have experienced children or people with limited eyesight learning how to read. And so if the brain is really localized, I mean, if consciousness was really localized to the brain and our sense of vision was specific to our eyes, then there's no possible way that that could happen. So Alex was taking what studies that have already been done and kind of these anecdotal stories of people being able to do this and uh, was putting it in a very rigorous study with blind people. So there's absolutely no way that a blind person can read in the traditional way. And so if they are actually able to read, then there's something else going on there. Can I just ask, do you know about the work of Nicola Farmer, Farmer um, with the children? Who are they? Te- I don't know that specific name, but yeah. I do know of a number of people who are teaching children how to read. She's one of them. I interviewed her several years ago, and there's a YouTube video actually of a news crew that went to film what she's doing. And with these young children who are never told that they couldn't do this, so they're completely open. With blindfolds on, not only are they playing ball and catching it, there's a little girl who's putting a bracelet together and she's like, I need the green bead and she's stringing it along. She's blindfolded. The interviewer is uh, talking to a boy and, you know, he cannot see the pad of paper. And this man is drawing a picture and he is telling him what he's drawing. He says, well, I can just see it. So that really excites me because that really shows really shows that our consciousness is not locked into right here. But to see these little children who just 
never taught anything otherwise and how they are developing with this sense that I think we all have, but we just don't believe it. Um, but it's really a beautiful thing. So I've actually seen it out in the world and uh, it's true. That's exciting. Yeah. So, you know, Alex is taking it one step further in terms of ensuring that there's no cheating involved. So, you know, the first thing that a skeptical says, oh, you know, they're lifting their eyes or their blindfolds on is, isn't quite right, etc. So this proposal is really being very um, rigorous in the controls to make sure that there really is no cheating and, and demonstrate attempting to demonstrate that. So that's exciting. Absolutely. Wow. The second proposal is a little more difficult for me to explain because it is mathematical. Okay. Um, called Conscious Agents and the Subatomic World. And that was by uh, Don Hoffman, Chitan Prakash, and Benjamin Knepper. And basically, there is a, the theory is that uh, what they're calling conscious agents are the fundamental nature of our reality. And that the way that these agents interact is what manifests what we see around us. And so they've developed this very complex mathematical model that they, including these conscious agents, that um, if, if this model is correct, it will predict specific things in our physical world. So they aim to use uh, computer simulations to run this model to see how well this conscious agent theory can actually predict what we see in the world around us. So I did my best to explain that in as simple way as possible. And I should mention that all of these full proposals are available on our website. So for people who want to dive more deeply or are mathematically minded and feel like they want to take a stab at reading that, those are absolutely available to them. Great. The third uh, proposal was called the deck. Detecting deviations from random activity as indications of consciousness beyond the brain. And that was uh, from uh, Wolfhart Janu and a number of other collaborators. They had a very interesting uh, proposal. Uh, have you heard of something called a random number generator? I have. Okay. So uh, for the audience, random number generators essentially put out random data. And you can think of it as zeros and ones. And they put that out in a very completely random way. So if you collect that data, and then you look at it, you should find an equal number of zeros and ones. And there really shouldn't be anything that that makes that deviate from that 50-50 uh, split. So there have been a number of studies looking at intention and how intention affects this random, random data stream in various ways. It's been done in the lab where people actually direct their intention to these random number generator devices. It's also been done in the field, like at Burning Man or you know, global meditations where there's a, a large group of people focusing on the same thing and there's been shifts in that random data. It's also been done on a global scale with the Global Consciousness Project. 
And there were over 70 random number generator devices spread around the whole world. They collected data for almost 20 years and then looked at 500 events, both positive and negative, both spontaneous and planned, and looked at how the data, if the data deviated over those 500 events. And there was a significant difference from chance. So I'm giving you a lot of background on this just to describe these these devices. Now, people um, have kind of moved beyond the zeros and ones. They use electrical noise, et cetera. But the concept is generally the same. So what this group proposed was to put these, uh, they're called OREGs, organized random event generators, in rooms where people uh, were close to death. So like in hospice. And they proposed that when the person died, that there would, it would uh, be observed as an event on these random number generators. So it would shift the data away from uh, random noise. So they proposed these experiments where this was done with numerous um, hospice patients and also with their loved ones uh, in the waiting rooms of uh, ICUs. So that's also a very interesting study because you wouldn't anticipate the data would change at all um, if, when that happened if we just ended, you know? So um, I'm really curious to see uh, if that study comes to fruition. Oh, this is so exciting. And I'm sure it was even, you're probably excited by the other people that submitted. These are just the top three. Wow, it's so exciting to hear these things because it takes it out of the world of um oh new age and mystic and all that and this is on the court things that are are happening and you know from your experiences with mediumship and the séances you attended and channeling that there's a bigger picture uh but it I don't think we can ever try to convince somebody that there is, but give them opportunities to explore what people are doing. And if they want to do some of their own experiments and follow their passions, we can really set sail on a great spiritual adventure that can open us up to, we are so much more than meets the eye. Absolutely. And it's fascinating because there's so many different phenomenon that lead us to think that our consciousness is not limited to the brain. Like you mentioned, you know, there's perceiving things at distant locations like clairvoyance or remote viewing. There's mental impressions from other people like, you know, telepathy, which has been um, shown in the Gansfeld protocol. There's sensing the future, like precognition and presentiment. All of these don't make sense when we think that our consciousness is just emergent from our brain. And so, oh, and then, you know, moments of loose uh, terminal lucidity, where, you know, like, say someone who has very severe dementia, they've had brain scans, their brains completely atrophied, they, you know, really have no function. And then just before they pass, they're completely coherent, they're able to say goodbye to their loved ones and, and speak clearly. And, you know, those cases just don't make sense with our current neuroscientific model that our consciousness is trapped in our brain. So, but if we think about 
consciousness being non-local, all of these make a whole lot more sense. But then when you try to figure out the theory behind how that works, it's really challenging. And we saw that in our 108 applications. There were so many different angles uh, that people were taking to try to create a theory. And you see that from our three proposals, that they were so very different and how they went about uh, trying to put forth a testable theory. So I think we have a little bit more work to go to try to explain um, this, despite so many people having had a personal experience of non-local consciousness. The language might not all be there. I think of how many people I've interviewed who have had near-death experiences, and they can't explain the love. They can't explain the colors, the music that they heard, because we don't have it here. And then you think about down to our tiniest little cells and atoms that make us up. All we are on a quantum level is vibrating energy, living in this ever-expanding universe. Our brains can't get around it. So try to putting language to something like consciousness is, oh, that's a tough one. But to have experiences, so you're not reading about it in just a book or on a website, to have personal experiences, there's just mm-hmm. this knowing that, and no mm-hmm. one can tell me any other way, even probably for you, you've had enough experiences that you know the truth. Do you have some experiences from when you were a kid that you wanted to share? Because you said you got involved with um, or family doing seances early. And I'd love, I really would love to hear about your book as well and some of your journey. Thank you. Yes, I've had so many different experiences. I think one that really affected me dramatically when I was a child, I uh, was really loved horses. I was a horseback rider and taking lessons. And I was at, did my show, equestrian show where I needed to jump over fences and stuff. And being the inexperienced rider that I was, I crashed and I hurt my back really bad and I couldn't walk. So I um, went to my grandparents' house immediately after that, before, you know, um, seeing a doctor or whatever. And my uncle was there. My uncle was a, is a trans channeler and healer. And so he did a healing on me and he put his hands on me. His hands got so incredibly hot. And I don't know, I think it probably lasted about 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Um, But when he was done, I could actually walk and I didn't have any pain or discomfort. It was really quite amazing. Um, And I witnessed him and my grandmother and more recently my mother, um, you know, do trans channeling. And that's where the channeler believes that they're um, acting as a vehicle, if you will, for a non-physical being to speak through them. And so because they're my family members and they weren't getting paid, I couldn't see what would motivate them to fake that at all. And the characters and personalities and different languages, et cetera, that came through them in that way was really, really quite profound. And more recently, I learned about a protocol by Patricio Trisoldi to learn how to trans channel. 
And because I was researching it, I said, I would love to learn how to do that. And so I did. And so now I've experienced that phenomenon myself, which is quite fascinating. And, you know, words coming out of my mouth without me knowing it is a very uh, bizarre experience. So I'd say those are the kind of strongest um, experiences that I've ever had. Oh, wow. And have you practiced as a medium yourself or have you dabbled in it at all that you've known about people and their loved ones and on that side? I've experienced that definitely uh, with my mom uh, trans channeling in various sessions. I have, like I said, trans channeled myself. I don't do it professionally. I don't give readings to other people, but I've certainly experienced it for myself. Um, And so it's quite remarkable. Mm, Yeah. I've not open practicing sharing, but I've dabbled in it as well. So I know exactly that experience of me paying attention to my breath. And meanwhile, words are coming out of my mouth. Uh, Anytime I tried to pay attention, the words stopped. When I went back to concentrating on my breath, the words continued. And then when I did open my eyes, people are wiping their tears because there was some just beautiful philosophy about life and death that come out of my mouth. And it's like, wow. Um, Yeah. All incredible. Uh, Tell us about the book you've written. Yes. So the science of channeling book is really based on the ion science of channeling research program. And so of course, with my personal history, I was really excited to study channeling at ions and um, building on what ions and others have done. I came up with a number of questions that make up a research program. And so I should back up a little bit because my definition of channeling is a little different than other people's. And so I use a really broad definition, which is basically accessing information and energy from beyond our conventional notions of time and space that can appear receptive and expressive. And so that encompasses a wide range of experiences from intuition and gut hunches all the way up to mediumship and trans channeling. And so I consider trans channeling a sub um, experience of this more global channeling. And I feel that everyone has the capacity to channel in one way or another, and that the way it shows up for us is really, really unique to us. And so the IONS Channeling Research Program looks at how common these experiences are. Uh, Is the content useful? Can we verify the content? How does it work? Um, And who makes, who can be a channeler? Like what are the specific characteristics that make someone be a trans channeler versus um, have precognitive dreams, for example. Um, And so we have many, many different studies that we've done looking at each one of those questions. Uh, One that is uh, most recent is around something that we call the noetic signature. And so noetic means inner wisdom. And if you think of a signature, it's like signature or... um, 
it's a unique characteristic of each individual, like a fingerprint. And so this unique noetic signature of how our channeling is expressed uh, is what we study in that program. So we started by gathering information from over 500 people. We had them write out their actual experiences and we did a qualitative analysis of that to pull out some themes. Then we came up with about 150 various items. We had people take that questionnaire and we narrowed it down again, narrowed it down again to 44 items. And so those 44 items reflect 12 different characteristics for how people experience their channeling. And so just to give you an example, one of them is like general intuition. I just know that it's true, or I just felt that it was true. Another characteristic is about feeling it in your body. So I get goosebumps when I hear something that's truth. And so that's an example of that type of characteristic where you get goosebumps or you get a rush of heat or you feel sensation of cold. Um, Another one of the 12 characteristics was uh, connecting with apparent non-physical beings. So like mediumship. So that showed up as a a separate characteristic. And I should mention, we use statistics. We was really data-driven to pull out the unique kind of characteristics. So you can take this noetic signature inventory, kind of like you could take a personality test and find out what your specific channeling signature is and how it shows up for you. So that's really fun. We just did another study that confirm that 12 characteristic model. Um, And uh, we're now looking at how those 12 characteristics relate to each other. So if I get goosebumps, can I also sense other people's emotions? Or if I um, do mediumship, if I can hear deceased people talking to me, do I also have, um, you know, cognitive dream, precognitive dreams or something like that. So we're looking at those uh, patterns now as well. Good news. I love that the Institute is looking at all of this. And I think, you know, there's so many of us that channel, say, our higher power, wisdom. There's moments that you've had it. I've had it. Other people have had it. Maybe you're speaking and you're so present you don't even know what came out of your mouth, but it was just the thing that people needed to hear or people who are in the zone and create these amazing works of art. I think that's all tapping into this. Let me ask you, because in your bio, there's a lot about meditation. And I love that you work with John Kabat-Zinn. He's one of my favorites. How important is meditation? And do you think this channeling ability has something to do with the ability to uh, be present and quiet that mind down? That's a great question. So what I didn't share about that noetic signature study is we found this one um, theme called how people engaged, you know, so what, how did they actually get into 
a channeling state, if you will. And there were so many different ways, but meditation was at the top. And we also know this from many other studies in parapsychology that meditation or being a meditator is one of the strongest predictors for having these experiences spontaneously or doing better in the laboratory. And my sense is that it's not meditation specifically, but it's any type of training that supports you to focus your attention and become kind of still and quiet in your mind. Because when we are focused on external stimuli, you know, the social media and, you know, news and everything coming out at us, it's hard to listen to that inner voice or that inner wisdom. And so if if you take the time to um, become still and quiet, whether it's meditation or walking mindfully or dancing mindfully or gardening mindfully, whatever it is, that present moment still awareness, I think absolutely supports us to be open to those experiences. Those experiences and more. I've taken courses in remote viewing and mediumship and all kinds of things and the healing and just being present in whichever yeah. way and having that loving intention. There was, you know, something else I thought your audience might be interested in. Have you heard of the um, Bigelow Institute of Consciousness Studies and the content they did? I haven't shared much about it, but I personally have, if you want to talk about that. So Robert Bigelow founded this um, organization. I think it's a nonprofit called the Bigelow Institute of Consciousness Studies. And a couple of years ago, they launched their own contest mm-hmm. to find the um, best evidence of survival. And they had numerous, numerous applications of people submitting the best evidence that our consciousness survives bodily death. And so our team was one of the honorable mention winners. And we approached this in a very unique way. First, we reviewed the best evidence um, for survival, you know, mediumship, reincarnation studies, terminal lucidity, uh, a variety of different kind of bodies of evidence uh, for survival. And then we actually came up with 10 experiments that we could run to test survival of consciousness. And we sent that to academics. And we said, which one of these, let's assume they all had positive results, which positive results of which experiments would persuade you to believe in survival of consciousness. And those results were really fascinating. So mediumship definitely came up on the top and so did um, reincarnation. So I wanted to highlight that contest because all of those uh, essays are available online. And I believe that they represent the most current Um, synthesized body of evidence for survival of consciousness to date. It's pretty amazing when you put those all together. So I wanted to make sure that you and your audience knew about those. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bigelow Institute 
I don't know if it's .org. I can't remember, but it's Bix. Yeah. B-I-C-S. All right. Thanks. Well, our time goes by pretty quick. What are you passionate about now? Or what should I have asked you that I didn't, that the floor is yours? And if you want to share with people. We're doing some really fun studies right now on the ethics of mediumship. So perhaps some of your audience members have wanted to go see an, a medium, but they weren't new. They didn't know who to talk to, or how do I know if they are good or not, or valid or not, or um, ethical or not? So we are currently doing two projects right now. One is uh, developing ethical standards for professional mediums. So we're inviting professional mediums to complete a survey about what they think is important to be in there to let us know if they already follow ethical standards. So we're really excited about trying to synergize with all the various um, professional mediums and in the English speaking world right now, we don't have in other languages yet to come up with ethical standards, which I think will be really helpful. And then the second project is to collate all the different um, uh, teaching programs for mediumship and to learn about, you know, what are the criteria that they have to actually get certified? And um, can we perhaps find a way to support um, the client to be able to discern if the medium is um, an authentic medium? I love that. Is that information available on your website? And the reason I ask is I have a drive in me to help raise the level of mediumship in the world. The um, UK mediums, a lot different in training than Americans. Uh, I've learned some wonderful things that some of the our international mediums have as code of ethics that I would love to see across the board. And I also know some very, very good teaching mediums. And I think um, I would love to be involved and be able to share this with just some of the, the great mediums that I know. Because uh, I think many of us are passionate about that. There's far too many people that I have met that have had a bad experience and it's like throwing the baby out with the bathwater and they've kind of, laughed at the whole idea of the afterlife because they have had a bad uh, reading. So to be able to raise that level, I sure would love to help. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So if you go to uh, noetic.org under the science tab, we have a participate in research page and it's right there at the top of that page. Also, if you go to our publications page, We've already published on a study that we did where we asked professional mediums and channelers how ready they were for professionalization. And just like you experienced with your friends who are mediums, we heard the same thing, that people are ready, they're interested, they feel sad that the bad apples kind of ruin it for everybody. And how can we support it so that it's, you know, I don't want to say that it's a closed group, you know what I mean? But that there's bars that you need to pass to be able to um, be listed as a 
authentic or certified museum that you follow specific ethical guidelines. Perfect. And I think some of the bad apples don't know they're bad apples because they went on a weekend course. So they paid $5,000 for some Zoom classes and they, they don't know that there's a whole other world and they can be much better than they are. So, yes. it, you know, I don't think everybody out there that's not so good as a con artist by any mean, but sure. I just don't think they know what's possible. So, yeah. okay, we're going to definitely check that out. In our last few moments together, a lot of our audience uh, members are experiencing grief. They have had a loved one that has transitioned. Would you just reach into your soul and just share a few last thoughts? Perhaps, um, I don't know, something to inspire, something you want to share, just something you want to leave everybody with. I would just offer that you are not alone. You are loved. We are all interconnected and that that awareness, that knowingness is precious and available to you and invite you to sit quietly and go deep into your heart to communicate and trust that in whatever way that that message will be heard and that you will feel that message for yourself. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you. Dr. Wabe, thank you so much for being our guest here today. You're so welcome. It's been a pleasure. I love new friends and I love new friends up to big things and organizations. Wonderful. For our listener or for our viewer, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. And as always, you can find all past episodes at wedontdie.com. If you scroll to the bottom of the page, you'll see a, a box where you can put your name and your email address. And it says, join my insiders club, get the first few chapters of my book. The secret is it is the entire book. It is the entire thing because I don't want anything to stand between the information and you. If you want to buy it at a bookstore, you can. But chapter 10 is a, my most precious chapter, and it is about grief. And it is about how to give yourself some tools to help you feel better, understand the world of grief, what's in your control, what isn't. And it's very powerful. And also some really wonderful things about the afterlife and how to live a powerful life. So again, that's at wedontdie.com. And remember, we have offer a free Sunday gathering every Sunday at 2 p.m. New York time, 11 a.m. Pacific and 7 p.m. UK. 100% absolutely free. It's an inspirational service filled with great music, great words of inspiration. Also, there's a medium demonstration included. It is so magnificent to see how close our loved ones are when you witness it. It's just magical and it's fun. Can I tell you? It's fun. So that's also at wedontdie.com. So in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain. I've been your host on We Don't Die Radio. I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is so important. So go to IONS, I-O-N-S dot org or noetic dot org and check out the Institute. Check out this contest. Dig around the different pages. See what's going on. There really is more to life than meets the eye. And there is so much more to you than you know. So I really want to thank you for listening or for viewing. And we'll see you again soon.